So we're going to read from Acts chapter 2, verse 40. It's the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has fallen on the church for the first time. 3,000 people got saved. And then a new Spirit-filled community. The first Spirit-filled community in history was born. And we see a picture of the pattern of life of this Spirit-filled community. So Peter's just preached Acts 2, verse 40. And with many other words, Peter testified and exhorted them, saying, He saved, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily, with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness, and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favour with all of the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now I'm going to be focusing later on in the sermon on verse 46, where we're going to see the types of attitudes that these spirit-filled people in this spirit-filled community were described as having. And it focuses on the fact that they had gladness and simplicity of heart. We're going to see how when the Holy Spirit increasingly works in our hearts, he is seeking to produce the same thing that he produced in the first spirit-filled community in history, gladness in your heart and simplicity of faith. But just to look at the passage a little bit more in general, we can see that this first spirit-filled community was in stark contrast from the world that these people had been saved from. Notice in verse 40 that there was a continuing theme from Peter in these early days. He didn't just preach the gospel, but he was also testifying and exhorting them to do one thing in particular. He was testifying and exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. You can also translate that word perverse as twisted So in these early days, as people were being saved from their sins and filled with the Holy Spirit and coming together in a new community, it was a new community that was totally the opposite of the communities that they'd come out of. The communities that they'd came out of, the world that they'd come out of, was perverse in Peter's mind. It was twisted. Everything about it was wrong, and they were told not only to get saved, but to to, to be saved from a mindset, to be saved from worldliness, the worldly way of doing things, worldly communities. They were to be saved from this whole thinking. You know, the intercessors have been uh, praying this week at the intercessory meetings, and I've been leading some of them, and we've had a theme that we've been praying for you this week. And it's John the Baptist when he said, prepare the way of the Lord, let every ravine be filled, let every mountain be brought down, and let every crooked path be made straight. 
This week we've been praying for you. We've been praying that God would prepare the way for the Lord to come in your life in increasing measure by his Holy Spirit. We've been praying in our services and in our personal times that any ravines in your life, any deep valleys in your life would be filled by the Holy Spirit. Ravines of depression or despair or discouragement, uh, valleys that you're in that you feel you just don't have the energy to climb out of. We've been praying that the Holy Spirit would fill in these ravines and cause you to rise in encouragement again and rise in hope and faith. We've been praying for you. We've been praying for you that any mountains that are opposing God's increased work in your life would be bulldozed down by the Holy Spirit. These could be mountains of self-reliance or, 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 or mountains of pride or they could be mountains of opposition that are preventing you from meeting with the Lord like you should. We've been praying, we've been bulldozering in the Spirit, mountains of opposition preventing increased work of the Holy Spirit in your life. We've been pulverizing them in the Spirit and we're expecting something to happen in your life. We've also been praying this week for you with this prayer line that any crooked path in your mind or your life or your, your experience would be brought back into alignment by the Holy Spirit with the straight paths of Scripture. God is straightening his people out. Can you say amen? He is straightening us out. This is one of the primary works of the Holy Spirit to take them from this verse 40 of a perverse, twisted generation and then by the power of the Holy Spirit and the word in action to straighten us out and realign us so that in the end, every valley is filled, every mountain is put down. Uh, God is straightening his church so that the Holy Spirit can come in power and glory in your life. That's the end game. The Holy Spirit's at work in your life so you can have more of Jesus, more of his grace, more of his mercy, more of his power, more of his anointing, more of his leading. God is on the march and he's got his construction team, the angels and the Holy Spirit working in you and me. So don't consider it strange if you're going through various trials at the moment. You're confused. You're not sure what's going on. You're wondering where God is. God is at work in your life. And he's wanting to produce, as he increases his work, he's going to produce us according to the pattern of what I've just read. This new, the first spirit-filled community in history... They, they had a practice, they had a focus on the apostles' doctrine. We see that in verse 42. Fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, and generous giving and generosity of heart. The apostles' doctrine was straightening them out. This fellowship was more than a cup of tea at the end of the service. You're very welcome to have a cup of tea at the end of the service. But it was more than that. This fellowship actually means partnership. Partnership in a mission. They were partners together to see God's kingdom come in their community and also to the ends of the world. But I don't really want to speak so much about their practices, but I want to focus, as I mentioned, here in this verse 46 of their attitudes. If you were, if you had a time machine and this time machine took you back to Acts chapter 2, and you spent some time with this first spirit-filled community, the early church. 
And you saw their practice, their devotion to the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, meeting in the temple on a daily basis, meeting in one, of the, one another houses, praying together. And I, I was to ask you on your journey back in time, well, what type of people were they? What were their attitudes? What were their character? You've told me what they did, and that's very exciting, but what were they like? Well, Luke was there. And Luke, in writing Acts, has described these people as being, as they ate their food, as have, being people that were glad or joyful, and also people who were simple of heart. These two attributes of the first spirit-filled church, I believe that God is working these attributes in our lives. And so I'm preaching this sermon to awaken us to the divine possibilities of new gladness, new joy, and new simplicity of trusting God, knowing that the Holy Spirit is trying to produce this pattern in our lives, like he did with them in their lives, and that if we're aware of what he's doing, we can cooperate with him. I found that in the many mistakes that I've made in my life, one of the chief mistakes that I continue to make is that I don't discern what God is doing in my life and so I don't partner with him. Sometimes I even oppose what he's doing. But I've learned when we can discern what God is doing and then partner with what God is doing, then we find that everything comes into focus, everything comes into alignment and we produce fruit for God. Now, the first one was that they were glad. They ate their food. There's a beautiful picture here. They can't get enough of one another in this spirit-filled community. They're down in the temple hearing great preaching and teaching and testimonies of the apostles every day. But that's not enough. They want to be together. They don't have to be together. They want to be together. They enjoy to be together. Day by day in the houses, people were meeting and they were eating and they were greeting and they were praying and they were praising and they were thankful. And, and, and they had everything that they needed. And when they ate their food, there was this beautiful gladness this beautiful gratefulness and appreciation. They were so happy that they were saved. Is anybody happy that they're saved today? You know, when I think about where I would be and who I would be if I hadn't been saved by the Lord from this crooked and perverse generation, it frightens me. It worries me. Sometimes I play a scenario in my mind of where I'd be, what would have happened if I'd never been saved, and it, and it puts the fear of God in me. And I think about all the mistakes I've made being saved, and I wonder what I'd have been like if I hadn't been saved. I'm so grateful that I'm saved. They were so thankful. They were so grateful that they could have the Holy Spirit and more of the Holy Spirit, because their joy chiefly came from experiencing the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that joy is a byproduct of the Holy Spirit's work in your life? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Joy, love, joy. They were grateful to have a community. They were grateful to have one another. There was a, a joy that was here. Now, I want to explain a little bit about this joy, what it isn't and what it, what it is. We see this word joy in, in many different aspects. Luke chapter 1, 14, for example there, the angel, we can have the words on the screen. Just as soon as I mention, be free to put them on the screen. The angel came to Zacharias, and he and Elizabeth were barren, but now they were going to have a miracle boy called John the Baptist. And in this verse, it says, and you will have joy, 
and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Especially in Luke, in the beginning chapters, people are filled with joy. Elizabeth was filled with joy. Mary was filled with joy. Zacharias would be filled with joy. There's this sense of encountering God and seeing God on the move that made people happy. So when we talk about this type of joy, it's joy in what God is doing. Have you, have you ever experienced the joy of seeing come on to, someone know the Lord for the first time? Have you been in the joy of a meeting where people come forward to give their lives to Jesus, sins forgiven and, and it's joyful? Or you hear a member of your family or a friend has got saved and you say, what, so and so? When did this happen? And something inside you is, is joyful and it's, it's not a carnal or an earthly joy, it's a joy that the angels share. Do you know the angels get filled with joy every, someone, every time someone gets born again? The angels are filled with joy because they know what this means for that individual. It means heaven and not hell. It means visitation and, 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 not, and not being punished. It's just such a wonderful thing. And here, not everybody was going to be filled with joy. Only those that knew what God had done with John the Baptist and what he was going to do. So joy... This joy that God wants to increase with our lives is connected to what he is doing in our lives, people's lives in the world. To connect with what the Holy Spirit is doing. To perceive what God is doing and then to rejoice in the small things and the big things and the breakthroughs and the faithfulness and the answered prayer. How many people here have ever known the joy of answered prayer? I mean, real answered prayer. I mean, you prayed and you prayed, and the more you prayed, the less it was likely to happen, but you pressed on in, you didn't stop. You knocked and you knocked, you sought, you sought, you asked, you asked, and then all of a sudden, suddenly, God comes through. And the joy of birthing something in prayer. Later on in the same chapter, verse 44, Elizabeth is carrying John the Baptist in her womb and Mary is carrying the saviour of the world in her womb and then Mary sees Elizabeth and greets her. You can put the scriptures up as soon as I mention them. And, and, and she, she greets her and then Elizabeth says, for indeed, as soon as you said hi and your sound came into, into my ears, the baby began to leap in my womb. The baby, imagine that. I mean, the little baby, John the Baptist, couldn't articulate what was going on, but he could sense and connect that the presence of the Saviour was in that room and he was filled with joy. We think about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8 to 9, and it says, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness, and there's a reason, because he has loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. There is a joy that's linked to righteousness, a joy that's linked to holiness, a joy that's linked to thy kingdom come, your will be done, and to have that experienced. Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. Look at that. Can you have joy and sorrow at the same time? Yes. Joy and sorrow, this type of joy, can be intermingled. Now, I'm not talking about the joy of the world. 
Let me ask you a question. Are you pursuing joy in all the wrong places? Let me ask you that again. Are you pursuing joy in all the wrong places? There's something in the human heart that seeks to pursue joy, gladness, delight, and happiness. That's how we are programmed. You know, the Garden of Eden, the word Eden means pleasure. God created us with a desire for pleasure, for joy, for delight, and for happiness. And so our life will be orientated towards where we think that we will get our joy from. You know, there's a philosophy called hedonism. Hedonism believes that the highest form of, or or the highest pursuit of humanity is to pursue pleasure for its own end. And normally hedonism takes place in, uh, in, in gratifying any such desires that you have as quickly as possible. The desire for stimulants, alcohol, partying, sexuality, uh, pleasure. Hedonism says these are the highest aims of men. But God says that the joys that we should pursue are joys that don't come from the earth, but come from connecting with who God is and what God is doing. You know, Jesus said this in John chapter 15, verse 9 to 12. He talks about obeying his commandments, John 15, 9 to 12. And that when we, as a far have loved me, I have also loved you, abide in my love. And then he speaks about that if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. And then the next bit, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy will be full. So there's a pathway of finding joy. What's that? Obedience. You know, to the fallen, fallen human being, the idea of being obedient to God is like pleasure robbing. You mean I have to follow the Lord and obey his commandments by the power of his spirit? You mean I have to go God's way in this situation, even though I feel pulled in a different direction? Well, it depends what joy you want. If you want the joy that the world gives you, then you go your way. But let me tell you something. In this world, there is, there is joy, but it is secondary joy. Some of that joy is illicit. In other words, people say, well, God wants me to go that way, but I, I, want, I want to live my life like this. And I know it's wrong according to the Bible, but I don't care because there's pleasure in sin. It's true there's pleasure in sin, but the wages of sin is disaster and death. And when you go your own way, seeking your own joy in illicit joys, sooner or later, the devil's going to come with a bill. Sin's going to come with a bill and you will pay the price. If you sow to the flesh, one day you'll reap from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, one day you'll reap joy from the Spirit. So there are illicit joys, joys that God says stay away from them because they're false pleasures that will destroy you in the end. But then there's acceptable joys that are secondary in the world, not primary, those are always heavenly. Secondary joys. And and they're the joys of of a nice family meal. They're the joys of a beautiful sunny day. They're the joys of a promotion or or, or the joys of, of love. All these things that are out there, they're not forbidden. They're part of this world order and they're joys. But they're secondary joys. 
as, as much as they can bring you pleasure, they won't bring you everlasting pleasure. You may fall in love with someone and they may fall in love with you and you may have a wonderful marriage, but one day you're both going to die till death do us part and then sorrow is going to come to one or the other of you. They're wonderful, wonderful, joyous moments, but it's not the joy that Jesus is speaking about. How many people were at the Nigeria-England match last night, yesterday? Oh, there we are. <laughs> Happy face this morning. I tell you, I was watching it on television. I'm sure I saw a Nigerian at the beginning and he was in his Agbada and he was singing Winner Man. But I'm sure at the end I saw the same man and he was in an England top waving his British passport. <laughs> the joys of dual citizenship. If you're a Nigerian with a British passport or a British passport with a Nigerian, well, you couldn't lose yesterday, could you? You were a winner man from the beginning. And there's lots of just, I don't, I don't, wanna, I don't want you to think I'm coming here preaching some sort of depression, depressing thing. There are illicit joys that will destroy you. And then there are other secondary joys that God has actually come from God, but they're still secondary because they're still linked to this world which will pass away. It's all going to pass away. How, how many of you know that all of us here in a generation, we won't be here? Look around and say, look around to your neighbour and say, you won't be here long. <laughs> Everything's going to pass away. This world will pass away. London's going to pass away. Everything's going to pass away. But there are things that we can experience that will never pass away. A saved soul will never pass away. Whatever God does will never pass away. Whenever we connect with God and his will, when his kingdom comes, it's an eternal work that's taking place. And so when Jesus says, I want your joy to be made full, when we see that, that these people, that they, were, uh, they, that they were happy and that they were filled with gladness, it was a gladness because they had sought joy in heavenly things. They'd sought joy in prayer. They'd sought joy in kingdom. They'd sought more of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And what happened was, they had a joy that was, that was increasingly no longer connected to the failing joys of this world. I've already said, you will pursue things uh, and life in the direction where you believe you will get most joy. You look at your life and take stock of your life, how you spend your time, what you do with it, what motivates you, how you spend your money. All these things will be signals to you of your pursuit of joy and happiness. But sometimes it's a sobering place to find when you get that joy that you sought for, for. you know, the permissible joys even. You get that joy. And then when you get them, you think, well, well, that's nice, but is that it? It doesn't fulfill. And these people sought the Lord and the things of the kingdom. So gladness, I ask you, are you seeking gladness and joy in all the wrong places? Perhaps as encounters with God, <laughs> mixed with pain at sometimes. I'm glad I reminded myself to go back to that. Is it possible to have heavenly joy and sadness at the same time? Yes, it is. Because sometimes when you're in difficult times, it drives you closer to the Lord. And the closer you get to the Lord, the more heavenly joy you receive. 
I remember one time I'd gone through such a difficult period in my life and it was for a sustained amount of time. It seemed like the difficult trial was going on forever and it was difficult and it was painful and many tears of sadness were, were, were shed and sleepless nights took place. Yet in the midst of that period, I drew close to the Lord. I had nothing else to draw close to. I hung on him. I poured my heart out to him. I waited on him. I, I, I stayed up all night asking him to be there and, and pressed in. I had nothing else but the Lord. And then when I came out of this trial and test and I was free and, and God had delivered me and, and made a way where there was no way and I was enjoying it, but also enjoying being free. There was also something in me that felt I'd lost something. And I thought, and I found myself almost wanting to have another sleepless night. I thought, that's weird. What, what do you mean you want to have another sleepless night? Thank God those days are gone. And the pain and the sorrow, thank God they're gone. Why, why is something in you wanting a, a repeat of it, although you know you don't want it? And then I realised it wasn't the sleepless night I, want, I, I, I needed. It was the Jesus that held me during the sleepless night. It wasn't that I was asking for some more pain. It was that I was asking for the one who was healing and holding and encouraging me and, and being there for me during the pain. And I realized that even during the most painful times, there was joy mixed with pain. Sometimes, of course, when God delivers us and makes a way where there's no way, there's no pain. It's just a season of blessing and joy. But these joys are things in the Lord, a joy in the Lord. I remember once when I was at university and I was recently a Christian and I joined a team that would go out into local mining villages and do youth events for the children, the teenagers that were out there. And we went to one particular difficult mining village and we were working there and there were two particular individuals, two young men, and they were like, they just were uncontrollable. And as try as we might, we couldn't do anything spiritual with them, barely, you know, keep them in order and out of the police. Well, one day there was a Pentecostal uh, evangelistic meeting in a local church and we didn't know much about it, but we, we managed to persuade them to come to it. And they came with us and they sat and we were there at the back and the evangelist made the altar call. And to our surprise, we never expected this. It was the last thing we expected. We had no faith for it. The two of them stood up, walked to the front me and my friend, we were open mouthed. We couldn't believe what was happening. They came to the front and the evangelist just put his hands on their heads lightly and they fell under the power of God and, and were saved. And uh, they didn't know anything about anything to do with charismatic stuff. So it was all... To, and the moment that they fell under the power of God, something inside me leapt. It was a leaping of joy, I guess a bit like John the Baptist. And then... Power came all over my physical body. It was like electric currents passing through my body. And I turned to my friend Mark, who's now a canon in the Church of England. We were both theology students. So we had a little theological conversation about what was going on. I said, Mark, my whole body is, is like electric currents going through it. And my mind is fine, but my body is just filled with this power and, and everything. And, and the joy of the Lord... Because of heaven's reality breaking through. God wants in these days 
to give us new encounters of New Testament joy and to bring joy, joy that is not dependent on external circumstances, but joy that comes through encounters with the Lord. But they were also simple, simplicity. It says that they had simple faith. With gladness they ate their food and simplicity of heart. The word can be translated singleness, humility, or sincere. In fact, the Greek word for simplicity is aphelotos, and it means without rough rocks, or without rough rocks. The idea being that somehow this stone is simple and smooth. Also, the word means without the stubbing of feet. So the idea of stubbing your feet on a st- on, or stumbling over rocks in a, in, a, in a rocky desert. So you've got this picture of smoothness. You've got this picture of not stumbling. These were people whose hearts were smooth to the Lord. Uh, whatever happened to them in life, they didn't stumble. They didn't blame God, but they pressed into God and allowed the difficulties to smooth their spiritual lives. They didn't get angry. They may have gone through anger, but they didn't stay there. They worked these things out with the Lord, and they just trusted the Lord. And the way that they lived their life was simple. You know Nathaniel, when Jesus saw Nathaniel, and he said, there's an Israelite within whom there is no guile. In other words, this man didn't, didn't try to coerce. He didn't try to manipulate But this was a man who was simple before God and simple before others. He was an honest man. God is looking for us to become increasingly simple in our lives before him. To be honest before God and honest before one another. To solve our problems by going to the Lord and not leaning on our own understanding. These were simple hearts. They had childlike faith. Jesus says that if you want to have Uh, the kingdom of God and great measures of the Holy Spirit and and God in your life and and the kingdom breaking out, then you have to have faith as a child. You have to have an innocence before God, a simplicity, a, a, a reliance, an external reliance on someone else. You need to transfer your trust from your own ways, abilities, other people's ways and abilities. You have to transfer your trust increasingly and eventually fully into trusting one person's abilities and ways only, Jesus of Nazareth. Now that's easier said than done. When you're facing situations, are you prepared to go down following the Lord rather than staying up using your own devices? These people just trusted the Lord, whatever would happen. Persecution was coming soon and they would be scattered but these people would just trust the Lord. They had no guile. They had childlike faith. They were simple. You know, you can tell these people in the church, over the years, met many, many different Christians from many different walks of life. But you can always tell someone who has simplicity of faith. They might have five or six degrees. They They may be working in very complex arenas of life, very highly educated. But when you hear them talk about the Lord, it's like listening to a child talking about his parent. They have simplicity of faith. No matter how complex or or intellectual you may be, 
The question is, when it comes to the Lord and his things, do you treat him like a little child? God is challenging us. He's asking us, where are we seeking joy? And he's also saying, will you become simple before me and before one another? Will you become transparent? Will you trust me? Will you have an external locus of control? And when things go wrong, you'll stop trying to control it yourself, but you'll come to the Lord and you'll say, Lord, I'm going to do it your way, your way, your way, and I'm going to seek you, I'm going to believe you, and I'm going to trust you like a little child. And then we see that the result of this was that continuing daily with one accord and in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness. They were seeking joy in all the right places. And simplicity of heart, they just trusted God. This is a message for some in particular today. Some of you are just so anxious. You're so anxious. You just need to turn anxiety into simple prayer. And, and, and take it to him every time you feel anxious. Just take it to him. And begin to trust him enough to leave it with him. Some of us, we need to return to the old ways. The ways that we know are right in living. God's ways, the Lord's way. Lean not on your own understanding. But trust in God and his revealed word. Be simple before him when you worship. Be simple like a child. When you serve, be simple like a child. The simplicity of these people was their triumph and it was also connected to their joy. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Just bow your heads right now and respond in your hearts. Two things they were known of. Happy and joyful, even in the midst of trial, and simple, transparent, childlike faith. This is what the Holy Spirit is trying to bring forth in your lives today. And we can be simple right now. We, we, can, we can just get real with the Lord and be simple with him and thank him. Thank him because he's made a way for each one of us. Where have you come from? Where would you be without the Lord? What type of person would you be? What would be, be your history to this point without the Lord? There's so much to be grateful for, so much to be thankful for, so much to be joyful for, for what God has done. Don't always focus on the negatives. Count your blessings one by one. He made a way for you, and he'll make a way for you yet. He'll make a way for you yet. He did it before, when you thought it was all over. He made a way for you, he rescued you, he redeemed you. He took you out of a perverse and crooked generation. And even when you failed him, he never failed you. He picked you up again and made a new way for you. And God is fixing in these days to send his Holy Spirit as way maker. And he's going to make way for his gospel. He's going to make way for his presence. He's going to make way for his kingdom. He's going to make way for his glory. Every ravine is going to be filled in your life and every mountain brought low. And he's going to make crookedness in our lives increasingly straight. And glory is going to come. He's going to make a way. Let's stand together. We're going to sing that song about God making a way from our simple hearts. before we begin, please.
say this time, say it. And we're standing holy because you made. Sing to him. And we're standing here holy because you made. Say we're standing holy because you move a mountain. Let's hear you say, say this, say you move mountains. If you believe it, if you believe that God is a miracle worker, say you move mountains. Oh, if he ever did anything for you, preach it and say you move
joy is coming your way. It is. In Jesus' name. It's coming your way. It's coming your way. Amen. Wonderful. Amen.